We live in a great area for going on hikes. You guys like to go on hikes? If you do, you're in the right place. If you don't, I don't know what you do, really. (laughs) We have a lot of great hiking opportunities. But every hiker will tell you, every hiker knows, that the better the hike, meaning the better the scenery involved in it or the better the view at the end of it, the more challenging the path is going to be. Right? What's one of the best hikes around here? Laugham Peak, right? You want to get up there? You're going to have to sweat a little bit. Now, easy hikes are great. I love easy hikes. Sometimes you just need to clear your head. You want to breathe some fresh air. You want to chit-chat. You want to be alone with your thoughts. Your dog can't really go that long anyways. So easy hikes are fine. Easy hikes are good. They have a place. But easy hikes don't lead to worthy views. They don't take us to the right ends. But the question when you encounter a new hike is, is it going to be worth it? Is this hike going to be worth it? Sometimes at the trailhead, you just think, I don't know, the mileage, the elevation, is it going to be worth it? And you've been disappointed before too, right? I mean, how many, I feel like more often than not for me, maybe this is just my, my luck, I take a path, I take a hike, I get to the vista and the picture that was taken from there is like 20 years old and now all the scrub trees are like growing up and I'm just like, well, I might as well be at the bottom for being at the top here. So we've been disappointed with things like this. How do you know that the hike is going to be worth it? How do we know that following God is going to be worth it? We're talking about the question of faith. Am I willing to trust the Lord again today? How do we know that that is going to be worth it? And whether it's going to be worth it or not depends entirely upon who is God? What is God like? What kind of stuff does God do? That's the only way we're going to be able to answer this question. Is following God going to be worth it? What is He going to do? What is He like? So today we're going to look at a couple things in our text in 1 Kings 19 that talk about God and his works, hopefully that help us see them in a fresh way. Now I want to poke your imagination, right? You're down at the bottom of the trail and you're wondering, can, can I, I can't imagine that this trail is going to be worth it. And I want to poke your imagination here so that maybe, you know, again, every day as we talk about this, again, you'll feel okay to walk by faith. The question of faith, that's the central question of our lives. It's not how much you've got in your bank account. It's not your resume. It's not your accomplishments. It's not your skills. This is the central question of our lives. In an event like yesterday where we remember that we all will pass, makes that all the more poignant, all the more forceful in our minds. The question of faith is the central question, and it needs to be regularly asked. The story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 illustrates that it's central and that it needs to be regularly asked in kind of a painful but very relatable way. Because we see Elijah go from this great peak of faith where he's he's in command of what it seems like he knows the Lord and and everybody everybody sees the Lord work through Elijah and there's this great revival. He's at this high place in 1 Kings 18 and then as 1 Kings 19 begins, as Nate read, he's in a very, very low place. We can all relate with that. But Elijah's story here is also a hopeful story because in this story we see that wherever we are, the Lord wants to draw us closer to Him. Whether you're on Mount Carmel or whether you're in the wilderness under the broom tree, the Lord wants to draw you closer to Him. That's why we're here this morning. And some of you are feeling really good about your faith and you're feeling good about your life and some of you are feeling really bad about your life and you're feeling really bad about God. Wherever you are, 
That's okay. And God wants to draw you closer to Himself. And so we're going to look at two encouragements to faith this morning in 1 Kings 19. Something about God and something about God's plan. So let's start with this. What is God like? Now I want you to look here at 1 Kings 19, verses 5 and 6. And just even as Nate was reading this, it occurred to me, like this is a big book, right? And it's a really old one. right? The last thing written in this was written about 90 A.D., the oldest thing was written, who knows when, in the long mists of history, you know, long, long time ago. So for this to have been preserved, right, that they, the, the original writers knew the rigors that would be required for it to be kept. So if they say something twice, right, if they're chiseling that in a rock twice, you know, it's important. If they're writing it down twice, they know it's going to have to be recopied twice like by millions of people for thousands of years, right? So everything in here matters. And I just think how natural the story would go if we picked it up in verse 4. And Elijah goes a day's journey into the wilderness. He sits down under the broom tree and he makes his complaint. And then skip down to verse, verse 8, verse 7 and 8. And in and. Here's the prophet under the broom tree, and he's complaining. And then God sends an angel and says, go walk 40 days to Mount Horeb. Like, that seems like that's the next thing that should happen in the story. And yet here's two verses. Let's read them. Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, wake up and eat something. Thus saith the Lord thy God. Get up and eat some food. And he looked, and behold, there at his head lay a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. And again, the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Wake up and eat something. So, you know, when, when angels are sent in Scripture, it's always something pretty remarkable, right? They've got some great, important message about cosmic affairs and, and what you should do next and, you know... Why was the angel of the Lord sent to Elijah to cook him a meal and to protect him while he slept there in the wilderness? To make sure he got a good night's sleep and a full belly. And so the first thing that we learn about God here that's helpful for us as we ponder the question of faith is that God is gentle. What is God like? God is gentle. I want you to to think of the, the psalm, Psalm 103, where it says, uh, the Lord knows your frame. He knows what we are. We love to talk about, and, and, and for good reason, to think about being the people of God. You know, this is what Mike opened our service with. We're this united brothers and sisters, people of God, and that's a beautiful thing to be. And we love thinking about ourselves individually as children of God, as sons and daughters of God. We love being that. And celebrating that, but at a deeper and more even elemental level, we are the creations of God, the creatures of God. We're His made things. Psalm 139, he, the Lord knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he kneaded you like dough there to form you and shape you. The Lord knows us. He knows that Elijah doesn't need a pep talk or a guilt trip. He just needs food and rest. Sometimes you need a pep talk. Maybe sometimes you need a guilt trip. I don't know. But what Elijah needs, what God knows he needs, is food and rest. And I think the relevance of this is really significant for us. 
Because who is the one who calls us to follow Him? Who says, where you are, no, come on, that's fine, but come on. The one who calls us to follow Him is the only one who truly knows us. It's the only one who truly knows us. And He is gentle with us. I just think this, this moment in this story is so interesting because of what God doesn't do to Elijah and what he does for Elijah. Think about the contrast there. Here you've got a servant of, the, of a God, right? We've got this, this despairing prophet. And, and what does the Lord not do? He doesn't punish the weak prophet. He doesn't come down and berate him. Say, what is wrong with you? Why are you such a wuss? Didn't we just do this thing together? He doesn't yell at him and call him names. He doesn't ignore the whining child. Right? That's sometimes a uh, strategy parents employ um, when kids are kind of whining in, in excess. Uh, you just sort of like, okay, why don't you sit here and in the, with your nose in the corner and I'm going to put my ear pod, AirPods in and I go about my business. This is not what God does with him. It's not, he doesn't do those easy, natural, obvious things to Elijah. Instead, what he does for him is he cares for him, he's kind to him, he's patient with him, he's gentle. This is such an encouraging thing for me to reflect on over the course of my sabbatical. God knows what he's getting with us. He knows what he's getting with us. He knows your limits. He knows my limits. He knows your personality. He knows your backstory completely. Whatever it is that has contributed to however it is you are, he knows, and that's okay. Can I, can I tell you a revolutionary truth right here? God's not mad at you for being a human. Like, right, such a, so, uh, so much of my anger, my, my, so much flows into my anger from so many different sources, but a lot of it is contributed to by the fact that I'm a human. Ugh, I'm just sick of being a human, needing sleep, needing food and rest, making mistakes, tripping over things, Right, And so, many, so much of the frustration in my life comes from other people being human beings. But I want you to know that God's not like us in that way. He doesn't look at us as things that are problems. He looks at us as his made things, as his creatures, his creations. He knit us together. He needed us. He knows us. He made us. It's okay. And that's what the call of faith is, too. When God calls us to himself, that's him being kind and gentle as well because he knows as our maker that he made us for himself. So when he's in, regularly inviting us, he's inviting us to come back to what is, what is our satisfaction? What, what is our healer? He's come, calling us to come back to him because he knows we're made for him. Now, all of this is sort of a precursor to really what is a, a majorly distinctive feature of God in Scripture. Really, it's, it's, he's got a market on this idea, and that is that God is gracious, right? He's the God of grace. This is old hat for us, but it really is a distinctive feature of our God relative to all other gods and idols and would-be lords and masters. And so when, when you look at this scene, though, look at it again. Does it, does it uh, remind you of anything that's come before? Any stories that have appeared previously in Scripture? Where uh, here we've got uh, where, where God meets His people in the wilderness and provides them with bread and water. 
and then leads them on a journey to the mountain of God to meet with them. Is that, does that remind you of anything that's happened prior to this moment, right? So if even we can recognize some of those resonances, this would have been immediately recognized by the reader. And it would have reminded him of, a very, of the significant story in the history of Israel. Right, the time when God brought them out of Egypt and gathered them to himself and made them his people. Talking about the story of what we call the Exodus. So Israel's there in Egypt, right? They're, they're there, they are subject to ceaseless toil, which is bad, nobody wants ceaseless toil, but to, and ultimately to the service of the gods of Egypt. This is about those gods being worthy of their life and death and sweat and toil and ceaseless productivity. And then the Lord comes and he does all the, the plagues, the miracles, the wonderful things, and he destroys Egypt and he leads his, delivers his people out of Egypt. And then, do you remember this scene? Kind of like, it's sort of like the, the meet and greet finally. Like all the stuff is settled down and they are all finally together. They get together. And what does God do? Right? They, the, the people of Israel at this point, 400 plus years in Egypt, they don't really know God. They don't really know who he is or what he's like. They know the Egyptian gods. They know what they're like. What's this God like? And here's what he does. First, first order of business, take a day off. Literally, Sabbath, first thing out of God's mouth when everybody huddles up. Second thing, I'm going to go ahead and send bread down to you from the sky every day. Third thing, I know you guys are all scared because we're in the wilderness. There's a ton of you. How are we going to feed you and, and get you water and stuff, right? Because you're never as thirsty as you are when you're out of water and you don't know where you're going to get water. We were in Washington, D.C., and they were doing all this work on, this, on the Jefferson Monument, which is kind of away from everything. We got over there, and they're doing all this work, so there's no water fountains or anything. And we're all out of water because it's 97 degrees or something. We had to walk two miles to get there. And you're never that thir as thirsty as when you don't have water. You don't know where you're going to get water from. But thankfully, the nice lady in the kiosk selling $5 water had a hose out back she was willing to fill up my thing with. So that was good. We got that water. So the Lord gives them water. He gives them food. He gives them the rest. And, and that, that same scene, right, is being repeated here for Elijah for his benefit. He would have understood what's happening. And all of the readers would have understood that that message is being reiterated. God is saying, I will take care of you. I am a God of grace. I'm not a God of extraction. I'm not an extractor. I'm not a taker of things. That's such a big thing for us, isn't it? Like, we don't want to serve in church. We don't want to read our Bible. We don't want to get God involved in our life because he's a taker. He's going to take all the good things that, out of my life. Isaiah 30, 18. 30, 15, we talk a lot about the last couple of weeks. 30, 18. The Lord waits. He waits to be gracious to you. He does, it doesn't say the Lord waits for you to do something for once. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. God shows up on earth. What's the first miracle he does? The first miracle he does, he goes to a wedding, they run out of wine. Hey, water to wine. Let me take care of that for you. He meets Israel out in the wilderness while, while, while Jesus is teaching, right? They all run out of food. They're all hungry. They're all getting crabby. What does he do? Hey, we've seen this before. Let me feed you in the wilderness because that's who I am. Right, how many times has this happened through Scripture? Do we get this? 
God knows us and he is gentle with us as our maker, but he is the, he is the God of grace and he is gracious to us. The relevance of this, again, for the question of faith is very significant. The one who calls us to follow him is not just the one who knows us intimately. He is somebody you want to stay close to, right? He's the guy with daddy's platinum card or whatever, right? He's gonna, you're going to have a good time. Stay with Jesus. Stay close to this God. When he moves us closer to himself, that's him being gracious. All right, so now let's think about this a little bit more. We do get closer to God. What kind of stuff is he going to do? So now look with me in 1 Kings 19, verse 14 to 18. We're going to read that section. So open up in your Bibles there. It's a couple verses. Doing something and moving your hands helps you stay awake. Verse 14. This is an answer to, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, now think about all these complaints. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So what's, what's Elijah saying? He's saying, I'm the, I'm the only one. I'm killing myself out here. Nothing good is happening. I think your plan stinks. It has failed. If this is your plan, God, if me and what I'm doing is your plan, it is no good. What kind of plan does God have? Don't look at that one yet. What kind of plan does God have for us? And so he continues. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholol, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. God gives Elijah here a sneak peek into his plan. And his plan is so much bigger than Elijah. It extends beyond Elijah's life. It includes people he's never met. It includes people he would never have guessed that God would use. Hazael? Hazael is in Syria. That's not in Israel. That's a comp- he's not a prophet. He's not in the school of the prophets. He's, no, he's, he's a pagan. He's the first person God mentions. Jehu, son of Nimshi, he's in Israel. He's one of the guys chasing Elijah, trying to kill him. Elijah probably knows Jehu by name, probably knows him by face. Jehu? Elijah, had, he, he can never wrap his, begin to wrap his mind around what God is up to in his life. You know, Elijah thought that he had accomplished victory at Mount Carmel. He thought he had done it for good reason, right? A lot of the prophets of Baal and Asher are killed. The people say the Lord, he is God. It sounds really good. But when he saw at the beginning of chapter 19 that he didn't, it broke him. It broke him. He thought, he thought God's victory, God's plan is me and my life and what I'm doing and what I'm up to. And when it wasn't, so part of what God's doing here is saying, listen, listen, buddy, victory's mine and, it, and it's coming. The plan of God depends upon God. And what kind of stuff now does this help us understand that God does? 
God does big good things and He invites us to participate in them. God does big good things and He invites us to participate in them. Here's an an enormously important truth. An enormously important truth. If you didn't get a bulletin to write this down on, write it on your finger, write it in your phone. God is always already at work. God is always already at work. It's so, much, so many times, we, well, what about that problem? We need to go there and do that. He's already doing it. That's why you even notice it. It's because he's drawing you to it. He's already at work there. Every time that you think, oh, God, pray for... He's already at work there. The call to faith is never God saying, all right, I, this all depends on you. I need you to do this for me. Go. He's saying, come on, come on. I've got a really special opportunity that I think you will really enjoy this direction. That's what the call to faith is. It's not some heroic act. It's, it's accepting an invitation to a party that's already beginning. And God says to Elijah, you're not alone. I've got 7,000 more like you. I've got a guy all lined up who's going to do actually even more than you've ever done. And I've got pieces at play in places you cannot imagine. And that's why this is here in the Bible for us, to help us begin to imagine. God is gracious. He gives good things. He takes care of us. And the gracious God has a plan. And it doesn't depend on us, but He'd like us to be a part of it. And so the question that the chapter ends with, that the scene ends with, is the question for us. It's the question of, uh, will I trust God? Which is really the question of, will I trust God's plan? Which is also housing another question, which is, will I trust God's plan, really, and get involved in it and serve it? Will I trust God's plan and serve it? It, We can get tired of God's plan, can't we? We get like Elijah. We think we know the plan, and then we get tired of it. I've noticed something in myself, and I've observed this in some of my friends as well, that we, as we age, we begin to think that God's plan is sort of timing out because our participation in it, we're not seeing what we want to see in a timely fashion, and we're getting older, and so God must not be working. Or we hear things in the news, or we hear reports of things, and we just say, I don't understand how God's plan can still be at work. And we're like Elijah. I'm listen. I'm out. I, I don't see the plan's not working. I don't get it. I don't see it. And I'm done. And this is a re, this is a really hard thing in the Christian life. Right? Elijah, I think we could all agree that Elijah is probably a person of faith way better than we are. And yet he crashes royally precisely on this subject. The plan of God stinks and is done. This is a very hard thing to wrestle with. I mean, so many times, uh, as we talk together about the plan of God, as I think about it, I think, well, okay, but what if? What if we build a building in Eagle at the property? The plan of God. 
But what if we can't take care of it? What if something happens? We, we, can't, we have to sell it. Part of the plan. What if we sell it and then we start a bunch of churches that really take off and they're doing all oh, the plan of God? But what if all those churches go heretical and get weird? The plan of God. Listen, it's just the plan of God is so much bigger. Things that don't look like the plan of God are part of the plan of God. Hazel is part of the plan of God. Jehu is part of the plan of God. Jezebel chasing Elijah into the wilderness is part of the plan of God. Things that don't look like they're part of the plan of God are part of the plan of God. So, do what's right. Be healthy. Serve, pray, love when you need to. Eat, sleep, go for a 40-day hike. The Lord is at work. His works are good. They're just bigger and longer and stranger than we are accustomed to. Because God, right, He is... It is going to be a great story. A great story, a story that you love to read or you love to watch, is, is a story that is not boring, right? Like, one of our favorite shows to watch during the holidays is uh, Log Fireplace. Have you guys seen that show on, on Netflix, Log Fireplace? It's not a very good story. We don't watch it too often, right? Our favorite Stories are good stories. Our favorite hikes, good hikes, stories that involve a lot of pain, a lot of sweat and toil. Hikes that involve a lot of sweat, hopefully not too much pain, but unavoidably some. If we listen to Jezebel, right? That's that's the think about this. That's the communication that really kicked off this crisis of faith for Elijah. Is he got a message from Jezebel? He got a message from the royal palace, from the people who know. The confident people who are asserting, I'm going to kill you. You're done. If we listen to that, we are going to end up exactly in the same despair. But if we hear the word of the Lord from the mountain, you know what God, and what God, what does God say to Elijah? He doesn't say, I've got angels coming. I've got, you know, armies of beasts or something. Like, it's not like a fantasy novel. He's just like, Elijah, go do your thing. I got it. Right? All of his words to Elijah, nothing special. He just says, Elijah, everything's fine. Look at me. Keep doing your thing. Keep doing your thing. What's Elijah's thing? Elijah's thing is to go around and pray over people and put them to work. Right? That's his thing. It's what he's been doing. That's what he's doing now. Church, what's our thing? Do you struggle with despair? Do you struggle with the voice of Jezebel in your head? You turn on Jezebel every morning or pipe it in while you're driving. And what does it tell you? It tells you the plan of God's all, I guess, who knows what's going to happen next. Keep doing your thing. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So, we've got like over 40 kids here from 0 to 20. That's our thing. Let's keep doing our thing. Let's take care of these kids. You've got neighbors. You've got friends. Some of them, especially in this climate right now, 
maybe Christians, but they're really struggling. They need somebody to come along with them to pray for them and to say, hey, God is trustworthy. Everything's fine. Let's do our thing. Some of you have friends, you have loved ones, whom, in whose life God is at work, but they have not come to know Jesus in this way. Right now, especially now, the world needs the church to do its thing. The message of, of God for us this morning, right, from the mountain, everything's fine. He's in charge. Let's keep doing our thing. Let's take care of what God has given us. The people, the opportunities that the Lord has led us to. Let's keep doing our thing, church. And of course, the relevance this, of this for the question of faith. Am I willing to trust the Lord again today? Friends, God's plan is a good plan. And it is a gift to be invited to it. It's a gift to be invited to have a part in it. What is God like this morning? We heard again what the Lord told Moses all the way back in Exodus. I'm the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. What James, the brother of Jesus, writes all the way on the far side of the Bible in the book of James. He says, he is the father of light from whom comes every good and perfect gift. This is what God is like. And what does God do? He does far more abundant good that we can ask or think. So, friends, let's not allow our lack of imagination to keep us from trusting the Lord and doing what's right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love, we love thinking about you. These truths that we talked about, they're, they're sweet, but they are, they are genuinely difficult to believe, that you are that gracious, that you will lead us to good things, and that participating in your plan and doing what you have called us to do will be okay. So Lord, we can say all this stuff and we can talk about it, but you have to do this work in each one of our hearts. In my heart, in every heart here, you've got to do this work to unloosen, to unclench something, to open some door, to shed some light on something in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, so that we can come to believe and to trust, to be willing to trust that you are this gracious God, to believe and to trust that you are, that your plan is this good and you are this way. So Spirit, I ask that you would do that work now. In Jesus' name. Amen.